Crassus exercised a kind of soft power, as opposed to being crudely, you know, Caesar and Pompey and the others who were classic Roman generals who got their power and authority by going abroad and killing lots of people and bringing lots of stuff back. So Crassus was a different kind of politician. And, and of course, that particular kind of tycoon politician has had a much more lasting and enduring influence on the, the future of politics than, 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 than the generals who just went in and grabbed what they could. Hello and welcome to the Aspects of History podcast. My name is Oliver Webb Carter and I'm the editor and your host. This week's podcast is a chat with Peter Stothard, journalist, newspaper editor, knight of the realm, but most importantly, classicist. Peter was on the podcast back on the Ides of March when we talked about the assassination of Julius Caesar, among other things. Today we're going a little bit further back in time to talk about Marcus Licinius Crassus, the subject of Peter's new book, Crassus, the first tycoon. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with Crassus, you've surely seen Spartacus, the 1960 film directed by Stanley Kubrick, with Kirk Douglas in the title role, as the leader of a slave revolt against Rome that began in 73 BC before Crassus defeated Spartacus in 71. By then, Crassus, along with Pompey, were the two most powerful men in Rome. Laurence Olivier played Crassus brilliantly in the film, so it's absolutely fine to keep his image in your mind as we talk. Crassus, as you'll have heard at the start, was not a brilliant commander, but he was a brilliant politician and fabulously wealthy. Peter will tell us about this tycoon, and indeed the origins of the word tycoon, which I didn't know until today. Crassus came up against Parthia at the end of his life, and this empire, which had emerged from the Persian, Macedonian and Seleucid empires, was based around roughly modern-day Iran. All these events were during the early years of Julius Caesar's political and military career, but it wasn't long before the vacuum left by Crassus's departure was filled by Caesar. If you can, please do subscribe. Coming up on Tuesday, I've got our bonus Black History Month episode, but in the meantime, I'll hand you over to Peter and myself chatting Crassus, the first tycoon. Peter Stothard, welcome back to the uh, the Aspects of History podcast. Um, and we're here to talk about your new book, Crassus, the First Tycoon. Um, and this is a part of a series, I, I think, actually, set up by the publisher. Is that right? Yes, Yale had this idea, came to me during the lockdown. I was working on another book, uh, a bigger book, and uh, it was becoming a bit difficult because all the libraries were closing. And... Uh, the guy, James Rom, a good guy at Bard uh, in the US, um, reviewed The Last Assassin, which you and I talked about, uh, yeah. very favourably in the Wall Street Journal. And then a few days after that, he called me and said that, that Yale were doing this series of short ancient lives. And would I like to do one? And uh, we talked about it for a bit. And uh, and, and Crassus, Crassus came up, which, which suited me fine, because it, it was a book, it was a, you know, a a narrative, short, um, pacey, I hope, you know, good read, which I could uh, write in those now long forgotten lockdown days without without having to be spending too much time in the university library. 
Uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, it is pacey. I, I raced through it. I mean, it's only 150 pages as yeah. well. Um, yeah, well, look, well, that's the idea of the series, I think, is to write these short. I mean, we're, they're only just starting. This is the first one. Um, but uh, the, the, that, that, that's the idea. And uh, I think it'll be a great success. Yeah, I had a look at some of the other titles. Um, I, I noticed James Rom himself, who's 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 quite a well, he's a, a great scholar of the sort of Hellenistic age. Isn't yeah, he? he is. Yeah, and he's doing Demetrius the the sacker of cities, as, as we always used to call him at school. Curious enough, being a sacker of cities, which sounded sort of quite romantic when we, at one point. It, it, when you see what's going on in Ukraine, doesn't seem quite doesn't seem quite so so, so um, such a jolly concept as once it did. <laughs> Maybe. No. I, you're right actually I, I'm just remembering when I, I, I loved Demetrius and thought his nickname was wonderful and you're yeah. absolutely right you can't really um, we are we live in different times now I think yeah exactly I mean he was a very romantic figure Demetrius anyway James will probably talk to you about Demetrius yes. at, at, at some time we're here to talk about Crassus but it's yes. quite interesting as you say how classics you know, you know names events do shift in, in relation to uh, modern experience and uh, and uh, Crassus is certainly one of those whose who's, who's, uh, people's attitude to him has changed hugely over the, over the years. Yes. Yeah, so so uh, did that mean that you came in with a kind of preconceived idea of Crassus and then it's shifted slightly or or is it shifted over because you, you've been writing about um, uh, Roman history for, for many years? I don't think I had a preconceived idea, but I had done a book on Spartacus. I'd, I'd, I'd followed one of my early books. I'd followed the journey of the Spartacus through Italy. But I wrote a book called on the, on the Spartacus Road. That was before you and I met. And it, it was very conscious of, of the fact that Crassus was really famous in modern times as the eventual you know, uh, victor, suppressor and crucifier of the uh, Spartacus uh, slave rebellion. And it was, and it is very striking, of course, that for Crassus himself and for his Roman contemporaries and for almost everybody at the time, that was something, A, they rather, they'd rather not think about. And if they did think about it, they didn't think it was very important. And it was certainly not something that Crassus was, was ever going to do Crassus any good uh, because, you know, however successfully you swatted a slave rebellion, you know, the Romans would thought, well, that was obvious, you know, ob obviously you're going to do that. So you don't expect to get a, a triumph or any praise for, <laughs> for, it, for it as well. And Crassus knew that. So, so he didn't expect any glory from uh, defeating Spartacus. And indeed, it disappeared from Roman literature and everybody just tried to pretend it hadn't happened. It was only in the late 19th century, you know, at a, at a time of... Um, first of all, sort of Italian independence, and, and the left in particular, you know, were looking for, for the very rare number of sort of possibly communist uh, Marxist role models in the ancient world, and there really aren't very many. So if you were studying uh, uh, Roman history, and uh, if, if President Putin, for instance, had, had attended any uh, Roman history lessons at school, uh, Crassus would have been one of the... Uh, uh, Someone, someone he would absolutely have known about because he was the capitalist nasty villain who was uh, doing harm uh, to the, the Marxist hero Spartacus. And so that's really where Spartacus came back and that's where Crassus came back. So he came back as a really, really bad guy. Whereas, uh, and um, that's sort of, Lawrence Olivier did the rest in the movie. And uh, yes, very bad guy. 
Well, I'm glad you've um, mentioned that because that uh, I'm sure our listeners, the moment they hear Spartacus, immediately think um, Kirk Douglas and, of course, Laurence Olivier as Crassus. Uh, and he's quite kind of, um, well, he's, he, well, Laurence Olivier himself, he just sort of plays this rather sort of smooth, he's slightly slimy, um, uh, very, obviously fabulously wealthy, but, but public school, Oxbridge educated type um roman roman general how close do you think um olivier got it got it right do you think well i'm sure olivier wasn't attempting to to get it right as we as we would see it at all he was he was representing um, a particular kind of uh, you know anti anti-slave anti-nasty roman oppressor as seen in howard fast book and um, in, in kubrick's movie and he, of course he did it absolutely absolutely brilliantly uh, Crassus was a was certainly a hard man. I think we can I think we can say that um, he had a uh, although he came from the, the the upper classes in in Rome. It was a long time in Roman history before you could get very far without having at least some decent start. And Crassus had a very good start, but he wasn't supremely rich. His family and he was known throughout his whole life as a rather modest liver. So not like Lawrence Olivier in in, in, in that way. He was a he was famed for only having, like, he built houses and owned two thirds of Rome, but he only lived in one house. And he rather despised the people, I think, who bought his houses in order to show off. And he he wasn't famed for for wine, women, and song, or or anything like that. He he married his uh, brother's widow. Now, the uh, he'd been killed in the civil wars, uh, and although of course people said, well, because. Crassus's only fame was for greed. The only reason he married his brother's widow was in order to not have to send the dowry back. Because, you know, in those days, you know, the bride came with money. And if you if she stopped being a bride, the money had to go back to the father. And uh, people said, oh, well, he doesn't really fancy his wife, want his wife, but, but he didn't, certainly wasn't going to send the money back. That may have been unkind. He seemed to have had a very good, you know, he seemed to have stayed with, with her a long time. And they had two sons, one of whom plays a very big part in, uh, in, in the story. And another who um, is the only sort of is the most vi- visible surviving Crassus left. We can talk about him if you like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was rather um, uh, the first. I think the first paragraph in in Plutarch's Life of uh, Crassus describes Crassus as being sort of almost the the, the family. The Crassus family were quite close knit, and they liked to spend time together. Yeah. And that immediately sets off, oh, well, I, I could sort of relate to him and immediately then think um, that uh, he's treated terribly badly by um, all, all his uh, competitors during the uh, first century BC. <laughs> well, he was a very unusual politician and a very unusual leader. And that's why he's interesting. That's why he's worth write, writing a book about. And I've called it the first tycoon because a tycoon is a particular kind of rich man, a particular kind of politician. Uh, the word was it was invented or, or entered into American English to explain to Americans how Japan worked, because the Americans turned up in Japan to try and open up the markets in 1860, the famous story, Commander Perry and the, the gunboats and all that. And uh, Commander Perry wanted to go and see who was in charge. And he had a letter for the emperor. And they had to tactfully to say him that, you know, the emperor wasn't, wasn't actually in charge of anything really, except relations to God. And he say no point in talking to the emperor and he, he, should, he should talk to the shogun but the shogun just meant general 
And Commander Perry, who considered himself the emissary of the American president, uh, wasn't going to be fobbed off with some, some general. So they persuaded him that, that, that he was a tycoon. And tycoon meant someone who's a lot more powerful than he seems to be. And that was the trick of, of, of Crassus. Crassus Woods was quite visible in Rome. I mean, he, was, he had jobs and he had real roles and he did a lot of speaking in the law courts. But most of his power was lending money, sort of bribing, cajoling, organizing, uh, buying and selling. And he sort of bought and sold power and, and, and therefore was exercised a kind of soft power as opposed to pretty crudely, you know, Caesar and Pompey uh, and the others who were classic Roman generals who got their power and authority by going abroad and, and uh, killing lots of people and bringing lots of stuff back. So Crassus was a different kind of politician. And, and of course, that particular kind of tycoon politician has had a much more lasting and enduring uh, uh, influence on the, the future of politics than, 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 than the generals who just went in and grabbed what they could. And I suppose the Romans, um, because he wasn't a traditional uh, militaristic ruler like Pompey and, and Caesar, they don't really respect him in the same way. Well, that was why he made his eventually disastrous uh, a, a, a attack into, in, in, into, into the Middle East. It is an absolutely truth about any character in Roman history that if you end up as a failure and everybody else is basically distancing themselves from you, then you tend to get a pretty bad press. And that's true for Roman emperors. It's true of, you know, if, if, you were, if, if your successors basically didn't like you and were trying to distance themselves, then the biographers and the historians tended to reflect that. And, and Crassus has had a very bad press for that because he ended up as a failure. But if you take his life in the round, I mean, he began with a, a small but very, very important military success in setting up, in allowing Sulla, Rome's first dictator, to take power. He, he won a battle when Pompey was somewhere else. He and Pompey were rivals for Sulla's favour. But when the big battle came along, Pompey was in the wrong place and Sulla was in, and uh, Crassus was in the right place. And so Crassus won this battle at the Colline Gate in 82. And uh, Sulla was very grateful. And it was on the back of that, that um, and the sort of breakdown in Roman society and the opportunities there were to buy up the really wrecked and shattered, burnt and ruined Rome that was the foundation of uh, Crassus's particular kind of power. It was built on a small battle, on a battle, but it was consolidated by a completely revolutionary way of seizing and achieving and holding power of you know, buying stuff that was available because of the war and then trading on it and doing all the things, not unlike the, Russian oligarchs at the end of the Soviet, Soviet Union or, the, or the, 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 the friends of Henry VIII and Thomas Cromwell, who did so well out of the dissolution of the monasteries. They were guys who saw there was an opportunity, took a risk, and there were risks in doing it. It didn't just fall onto them on a plate, but he took the risks and uh, set up a completely different kind of, uh, of, of, of politics, which worked extremely well until he wanted to do the other kind, and then it didn't. 
and in the meantime, Pompey, his 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 great rival, is uh, well. He he's desperate to. They all the Romans are desperate to be the new Alexander the Great, aren't they? <laughs> yes, yes. They weren't very imaginative in their uh, in, in their heroes. Yes, Caesar was very sad that he hadn't achieved all the things that Alexander the Great had achieved at at, at, at his age, and uh, yes. Pompey got allegedly the cloak of Alexander, um, which was like one of those uh, medieval Christian relics, of which I'm sure there were very, very many red cloaks of Alexander. But anyway, Pompey thought he had the uh, he had the one. Yes, being Alexander was 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 a was definitely something that the uh, Roman <laughs> generals wanted wanted to do. But of course, being a military genius uh, is is a is a skill given to few, and um, I. Pompey was both Pompey and Caesar in their way were particularly Caesar were military geniuses but um, I think Crassus probably knew that he was although perfectly competent and able to do stuff um, he, he wasn't in that league until quite late on his career far too late he thought that in order to keep his position up as being a possible first man of Rome, which is what they wanted to be. If, if not an Alexander the Great, at least he could be the top dog in Rome. Uh, they, um, he would have to do some military activity of his own. And it was when he stepped out of his comfort zone that all the trouble started. Yes, and we haven't mentioned the Parthians, who are, who are kind of a thorn in Rome's side for, uh, for many, many years. Um, they, 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 the Parthian Empire emerges out of the sort of remnants of the Seleucid Empire, which is coming out of the uh, Alexander the Great's empire and the Persian Empire originally. Yes, the Romans didn't know much about the Parthians and, and to be honest, neither do we. In fact, one of the most important um, sort of morals of the whole story is that the, the, the Parthians hadn't really been much trouble to Rome. To Rome. They were a tribe that came down from the Caspian Sea. There were Scythians, uh, in as much as we can tell, they occupied huge areas of, of as you say, of the vacuum that had been left by the end, by the, the, the fall of the, the, the Seleucid kingdoms after, after the death of Alexander. And they set themselves up in a very different kind of way to Rome. And whether they were really any, any threat to Rome is extremely, doubt, extremely doubtful. Um, but nonetheless, the, the, the Romans had this idea, some Romans had this idea that you know, there was no, no end to, to Roman conquest. And so they were looking, once they, they were looking for things to conquer and that was, uh, that was the position when, when, when Crassus decided he would, he would take them on. No, I don't think they were really any much of a threat at all. Not surprisingly, having once um, Crassus had taken a big army over, over there and had, had suffered his catastrophic defeat, later on they did become somewhat more of a, of a threat and they weren't as easily controlled by Rome as other, as other people. But uh, now to call them a, it would be a bit like saying the Ukraine was a threat to, the, to, 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 to Russia. I mean, you could, you could say it was for political purposes if you wanted to, to attack them. But, but it, whether it actually was, it highly doubtful. Well, I'm, not, I'm certainly not an apologist for uh, Putin's Russia, but um, the, uh, surely by their mere existence as a, a kind of autonomous empire on the borders of Rome made them uh, a threat in Roman eyes? Later on, to some Romans, uh, the, the period that we're talking about in the, uh, the first century BC, really not. There'd been almost no connection to Parthia. And that's one of those interesting things, really, about what Crassus's move from being a, 
a banker, a, a power broker, a puller of strings, a, a creator of Caesar, really a, almost really was a creator of Caesar in order to balance Pompey, all the things that Cassius was really good at in Rome. His desire that he wanted to conquer, Par conquer Parthia was based on extremely low level of knowledge about what was going on because these, these Parthians there were very few Parthians in Rome, maybe none. There was very little writing about Parthia, you know, really hardly any, and when it was then it was reliable, but, but very, 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 very doubtful. So they didn't really know what they were going in for. What they knew about the Parthians is what they sort of had picked up from other places, which basically the Parthia would be ruled by old guys who were sort of cynical old kings, who if you went in with a few Roman legions and threatened them a bit, they would do a deal. You know, they would pay you off. They would pay you to go home. You, they were, you, they, you, you could come to some kind of arrangement with them and everything would be a, a, a absolutely fine. And I'm sure that's what Crassus thought would, would, would happen. Again, a little bit, if you really want, I'm not that keen on these parallels, but if, if Putin had been facing, instead of um, Zelensky, one of those many old ex-communist you know, warlords, you know, who had sort of um, bureaucrats, really, more than warlords, you know, who, who ran a lot of those states off, after the fall of the Soviet Union, he would have expected, you know, to be able to more or less call the shots and do a deal and, uh, you know, exercise his, his will. But he didn't realise when he, when he evaded Ukraine that Ukraine under Zelensky was a different sort of place. The different and and in fact neither did many people in the West either. So you know, so he was a bit of a shock. And when Crassus invaded uh, uh, Parthia, I mean, he didn't get very far into it. And instead of some old king arriving, you know, to do deal, he, he found this young, extremely charismatic leader called Serenas, who, fighting a kind of war that um, Crassus had never heard of and knew nothing about and didn't understand. Uh, and um, these uh, uh, slaves on, on ponies, effectively, with, with bows and arrows, with the, with the arrows constantly being reloaded from the backs of camels, and was able to destroy Roman legions in a way that was, was really not supposed to happen. Uh, and so Crassus failed. For someone, it was particularly ironic for Crassus because he was a meticulous planner. He wasn't the fly of the pants kind of guy. He, he, you know, when he was building things, you know, he trained slaves. He was the, he, and to do everything. He trained slaves to be builders. He trained slaves to be scribes. He trained slaves to be lawyers. He trained slaves to, 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 to do every, in everything. And, and, and he, when he set up his army to, do Spart to, to conquer Spartacus, again, he conquered Spartacus in the same meticulous way. Um, but when it came to fighting in Parthia, although I'm sure he thought he was being very meticulous. Um, because he arrived in a year earlier, didn't he, um, to, the, to the final battle? So he didn't just sort of charge in, did he? No, no. And, and, and indeed, he fought one or two skirmishes, did very, very well. Um, there were stories that emerged from some of these fights of, of these particularly powerful arrows, like this uh, particularly powerful artillery shell, if you like, um, that seemed to be able to pierce Roman armour as other arrows couldn't. But he didn't sort of, if anybody said that, uh, as um, most famously 
uh, Gaius Cassius, the guy who eventually you know, joined the conspiracy against Julius Caesar. Cassius was Crassus's like number two on the on this on this expedition, and he was a perhaps a bit more realistic, or at least claimed to be. And he said, "Look, you've got to take notice. There seem to have some weapons here that seem to be able to do things. And 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 do we really have any cavalry to counter their cavalry?" And and Crassus said, no, 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 you're just being defeatist. You're showing, you know, you're sowing defeatism among the troops by talking about all these um, things that, that, that you say are going to bring us down. And I don't believe them. I mean, I'm, I'm preparing it, planning it my way. Overruled Cassius and, uh, and, uh, and, and therefore with, and was in no position, therefore, to, uh, to deal with this um, astonishing new sort of new imaginative kind of warfare which he hadn't been expecting uh, now he also had his his son um there and, it, and it's rather a, a a sad well it's a sad ending for father and son just like it was for his Crassus's own father and his his brother um in the civil wars yes many years yes. before yes absolutely he he um Crassus's last sight of his own father who was a sort of moderate um, conservative, if you like, trying to sort of broker between two pretty extremist factions, and like a lot of moderates in when wars and troubles get that, get get that way, he got sort of squeezed out. And uh, so he, the last sight he saw of his own father was with his head on a pike, or head on a, on the rostra, you know, in 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 the forum on a spike. Uh, and the last sight he had of his son was his son being his head of his son being brought back on, on a spear. Um, after, in an attempt to deal with this extraordinary tactic that the Parthians were using, he'd sent out his son and his cavalry uh, to to try and deal with it in a, as a cavalry battle. And he and, and the son and the cavalry did no better than uh, than his than his infantry had done. So uh, Publius Crassus, the son, who was a great hero, war hero for Caesar. I mean, he was he was the hope of the family. Um, he saw the, he, his head was brought back on a, on a pike too. And that was at that point, Crassus was, had to start planning his escape, which uh, went well for some of his officers and for some of his people, but didn't go very well for him, Crassus himself. Um, just going back in time a little bit, back to this, the Spartacus revolt, which I know we've touched on, but I'd be keen to just delve into that a little bit more because it's quite a big... Um, uh, to uh, to to the layman watching movies and knowing a bit about Roman history, the Spartacus Revolt, because of the film, is a huge event. But the Romans, uh, as you've mentioned earlier, I mean, the, the way they viewed slaves, they would have been mortified that a, a, um, a, a film would have been made commemorating the revolt. <laughs> um, so, but how was the, the revolt viewed... Um, by the Romans, and then how was the revolt itself? You know, what was the reality? We, well, we know quite a bit about this, um, um, and because we know that, that uh, to start with, the Romans didn't take it very seriously, because they sent out, and the film is quite accurate at, the, 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 at that point. They sent out essentially a sort of dad's army group from Rome. Uh, one of the rules in Rome was that you weren't allowed to have soldiers in Rome. Soldiers had to stay out of Rome. So if you, so they did have a sort of, well, Dad's army is perhaps a bit unkind, but they had, you know, some older retired soldiers who they could put together into a band. And they were sent on a kind of jolly 
you know, don't worry, don't worry, chaps, you whop a few slaves and we'll have a good party afterwards. And, uh, and, and they came a tremendous cropper because Spartacus's band of escaped gladiators and people who joined him turned out to be um, more, than, more than a match for that. So, and then once that had happened, still nobody really wanted, nobody serious really wanted to take it on. But Pompey, who was the big man at the time, even though Crassus didn't like to admit it, uh, Pompey sent a couple of his um, supporters, you know, so, so senior to the dad's army gods, but, but, but not Pompey himself. And they went off and they took a slightly better army and they too were completely uh, smashed. After that, it was the powers that be in Rome, the Senate had to sort of take the idea of Spartacus a bit more seriously, but it was a complicated thing for them because they were, if you're a slave owning society, all slave owning societies are very frightened at some part of them themselves about a slave escape and a slave revolt. They always have been and they always were, and, they all, and uh, that, that's key. But, they didn't really want to talk about or accept in public the fact this was a possibility because it suggested that the, that the enslaved people were, were, were kind of equal to, equal to them, which is not something they wished to, to, to do. So it's complicated and, and quite a subtle, subtle, subtle problem. Um, so, and, and so when they realised that, that Spartacus, you know, might even have been able to march on Rome, they were certainly doing a huge amount of damage to their land and their farms and their houses, including a lot of Crassus's own. Uh, and the treasury, for various reasons, was rather empty at the time. Uh, so Crassus was ideal because he was able to uh, hire his own army, organize it just as he'd organized all the, the slaves on the building side. He could, you know, he could he could he could pay them. He was he became famous for his, you know line that the, you know, no one could should dare call themselves a rich man unless they could you know finance an army from their annual out of their annual income uh, and so, so he did all that and then he set off to, to to deal with Spartacus which he did with many by extraordinary earthworks and building huge ramparts across, across the toe of Italy and what and, and he, the pirates who'd, so that was part of his, his day job, really. He used his building work, with, 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 did, did for them in Spartacus in one way. And his banking did for them because the, the, the pirates who, were, who Spartacus was relying on to uh, take, to, to let them escape to Sicily, where there are a lot of um, potential slaves who would revolt, were sort of bought off by, by Crassus. We're pretty certain. And so, Crassus used his basically day job skills of, of buying, bribing, selling, and building in order to defeat um, to speak, to defeat Spartacus, and then had, of course, the, this, the problem of what to, what to do with the what to do with the survivors, and he chose this particularly unpleasant uh, way of, uh, of dealing with those, which uh, made sure that he had was, was a ever, everlasting uh, bad reputation in the. Uh, not just not just in Russian schoolboys, but, but pretty much everywhere. He was sort of debating whether to use the uh, the slaves in his mines in Spain, wasn't he, uh, to get some kind of financial reward out of out of it all. But uh, but then decided that he would have been attacked politically for that. Yes, it's it's, it's difficult to get, to, to get into in, 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 into his mind. One of the 
the problems about writing about about Crassus is that Plutarch, as you as you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, who's a very important source, and uh, is had various different ways of writing, and he wrote these books of people, all of whom lived at the same time, and obviously he was most interested in Julius Caesar. So Julius Caesar is a um, long and uh, detailed account compared to Alexander the Great. Um, he was quite interested in Pompey too, because Pompey was, so he just, uh, but Crassus, who was the third prong or the third leg of this stool, they called it the three-headed monster that was running Rome by the time he left for, for, um, for Parthia. Um, he was constantly looking for new things. He had to find new things to say and the easiest thing for him to say was not was to say that he was a, a very greedy man, really nasty, greedy man, um, and turned the, the life of Crassus which, into something very different from the lives of Pompey and Caesar. You, you were talking about, you were reading them. Um, the life of Crassus is more like a sort of morality play and everything, every line in it is really designed to say, you know, greed you know, gets you in the end. And greed is sort of un-Roman and unmanly and un, you know, not a kind of model for for anybody. So no one wanted to be a Crassus. So you, you so the, the Crassus story in Plutarch is filled with stories a that were different from the ones that they were talking about Pompey and Caesar because he was a writer and he didn't want to keep repeating himself, but also were a, a kind of morality story, a morality story uh, attacking Crassus's greed. And the way uh, Plutarch, because uh, he, he paired live, Roman lives with Greek lives, yeah. and that's quite um, illuminating in itself, seeing who he matched Crassus with, because uh, Julius Caesar's matched with Alexander. Yeah, Crassus is matched with an, another rich guy who was a failure in war, Nicias, who, I mean, I don't know if we've ever done an item on, on the... On the um, Peloponnesian War, but um, we've we've touched on it very briefly, but I don't think we did mention uh, Nicias. He's uh, well, 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 yeah. well, Nicias was was the conservative mine owner, richest man in Athens, um, who was a rather conservative uh, influence on the conduct of the war, and he was set he was set aside a much more flamboyant um, Caesar-like figure, if you like, called Alcibiades, who roused people up and said that we're going to go and conquer Sicily and we're going to really hammer it to those, to those Spartans. So Crassus was paired with an, another rich guy who, uh, came, who came a cropper, who was, kind of gave, gave, was overtaken by events, you might say, and, and lost control of events. And, and that was Plutarch's way of, of, of balancing those, those, those two. But it's a good read, Plutarch's Crassus, and he does have these odd, interesting little details. You know, it's quite sort of uh, on Crassus's exile. When Crassus leaves after he's seen his father on, with head on the spike, he has to basically leave town uh, a couple of years later because he, he, his life is a threat. And he retreats to Spain and lives in a cave. And uh, so Plutarch is quite interested in this story because most of his big heroes don't spend any time in caves. But he makes the point that it was quite a luxurious cage, cave, and that some of his uh, friends used to se um, sent up what he described as, or the English translators described as, comely slave girls who were, to, who were to climb up the hill to his cave and say that they were looking for a master. Uh, this was the kind of Greek 
kind of slightly erotic kind of uh, you know, uh, uh, detail that, that you know that appeared to that appealed to, to, to Plutarch, which he could use um, in relation to Crassus, which he you know, wouldn't have done in relation to the, his bigger, more solid Roman examples. Plutarch was Greek himself, wasn't he? From is it Chironia? Yeah, yes, yes. He he was the priest, the priest at Delphi, and um, an extraordinary, extraordinary writer. We would know a great deal less about a whole lot of things if we didn't have Plutarch. Not just the biographies, not just the parallel lives, but a huge, huge amount of uh, of else about um, how the Greeks and how how the Romans did. Because because Plutarch had this particular idea as a historian of encouraging Greeks to think that the Romans weren't better in everything. Because at that stage, by the time Plutarch was uh, writing, Greece was a sort of university, Athens was basically a sort of gap year destination and a kind of, or a kind of university town at best. And, and it had long past its days of being really uh, important. And, but, 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 Plutarch wanted to remind the Greeks that although they lost a lot of their military and political power, there were still heroes in their um, history that were as important as, 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 and as morally, morally up to the Romans and probably superior to the Romans. And that was how he did his balanced lives. And that's how Crassus, that was one of the ways in which Crassus's reputation um, suffered. You know, failure, Plutarch, and then the fact that he was his biggest event was uh, apart from failing in the desert was um, crushing a slave rebellion meant that Crassus pretty much disappeared from anybody's. You know, there's no there's no Shakespeare play about Crassus. You know, no one wanted to um, to, to, to touch him. But when you pull the whole story of his life together, as uh, as I've done in these, as you're saying, in a, not a long book, but it does it does point out that actually his contribution to the way we run our politics was probably more lasting. Well, if, if not more, well, it was more lasting, but certainly more continuous um, than a lot of the uh, more glamorous activities of, uh, of, of the people of, of Caesar and Pompey. I mean, although he, his life did end in, in failure, or, or uh, and we haven't really talked about how it did, so we can do that, but... Um, he did live quite a long time. He was quite old when he uh, oh, went well, to Parthia. Yeah, he, yes, for, for a Roman, and indeed, when he was on his way to Parthia, he meets, he meets an old guy, a, a king of Galatia called Deotarus, who appears up and down in all sorts of um, bits of bits of Roman history. And uh, Crassus teases him, because Deotarus is old, and he's building a new city in, in his little country. And Crassus says, you know, well, yeah, you're leaving a bit late in, in your life to be building this new city. And Deotarus looks at him and says, I think you're leaving it a bit late to, make, make, <laughs> to be invading, uh, invading Parthia. And um, uh, so, so it proved. Now, it, it, this, this, where he meets these um, advanced new, um, I guess, horse archers, yeah. That, uh, that uh, and and these and this heavy cavalry as well that combine together to to really make mincemeat of of, of the Romans. Reading it again um, this morning, he just seems to make a series of 
he's sort of defeated, but it's not a catastrophic military defeat. But he keeps on making very stupid mistakes in the, agreeing to meet with the Parthian um, <laughs> messengers. Yeah. And things. yeah, well, because he's a canny man. I was just surprised yeah, that he would. It, fall it, 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 it is odd, but it, I think the blame for that, if, if you're looking at it from Crassus's point of view, goes with Gaius Cassius. Because Cassius was clearly, as, as, as he later proved, not a particularly reliable seconding command, <laughs> as Caesar <laughs> found when he had a, a, a dagger in his, in his, in his um, shoulder blades. So, and, and Cassius managed to escape um, after, after the defeat. So a huge amount of what we know, or think we know, about what happened it's not all, it's not all come from Cassius, but you can detect the hand of Cassius in quite a lot of the stories, particularly the ones which we you know which are not not particularly creditable to um, to Crassus. It's just sort of because Cassius was in great danger himself. I mean, if it was such a defeat and it was such a stain on the Roman mind for so many years, decades and decades, um, that Cassius himself could have been punished and you know say well you were part of that absolute disaster but Cassius's point was well it wouldn't have been a disaster if stubborn old Crassus had taken more you know more notice of, of, of me and had, had done all, done, the, done the things that uh, I, I, I told I told him to do and you talked about the how Crassus was found I mean it was a bit it's a bit difficult to know exactly what happened but after the defeat they weren't stupid the Romans, they knew that they had to divide in order to escape. Because the main thing was to make sure that the Parthians didn't know where Crassus himself was. Because the old king back at the capital of, of Parthia wasn't going to accept that, that Serenus had won his victory unless he brought back Crassus dead or alive. Because they knew that this, this war against Parthia was Crassus's war. It wasn't really a Roman ambition to, to, to attack Parthia. If they got rid of Crassus, they thought that would be a very long way towards making sure that they weren't um, attacked, you know, attacked again. So they had to, Serena, having had his great victory, still had to find Crassus. And of course, there were about five different groups, and Crassus could have been anywhere. But he goes up, but unfortunately for him, he goes to uh, a town and where he thinks Crassus might be. Called up and says he wants to parley with the with with the with the Roman with the with Crassus, and uh, Cassius instead of saying, "I've no idea where he is, mate," <laughs> not here, Gulf. Um, Crassus says, "Oh yes, he'll be down here shortly." <laughs> so, so, so Crassus is betrayed either deliberately or inadvertently. Um, by Cassius, and so he goes down to, to talk, and he's still, I'm sure, at that stage, thought that he'd be able to talk his way out of it, or bribe his way out of it. I mean, he would have been able to basically say to Serenus, "Look, you know, I'm the richest man that you'll ever like to see, uh, and it, what do you want?" You know, and he would uh, have given him money and and promises, and uh, and his aim was still to get out alive, if rather shamefaced. But unfortunately, there was a bit of a, it was just a, a squabble over who was riding which horse. And the guards who were guarding Crassus to take him to Serenus panicked and thought that they certainly didn't want to be blamed for Crassus getting away. So they um, killed him. So he, he ended up in a particularly sort of ignominious um, death arg arguing over a horse. 
Now he his um his treatment um has been in I think it, it it's been inspired. Have you ever watched Game of Thrones? No, sorry, I know. I, I, I well, know, no, no. I, I, know, I know your viewers will find this this, this very hard. <laughs> very, very hard, but I've never watched a Game of Thrones. Well, I'm I'm not I I, I will, I'm not sure it's it were it, it, it is deserving of the dedication required to watch so many series of of just you know sheer violence and everything. But very early on, there is a character who is um, uh, he has gold molten gold poured down his throat. And I, I, I'm most um, interested as to whether that that inspired that was inspired by um, the treatment of, of of Crassus at his end. I'm sure uh, it was. Oh, well, I'm sure it was because it, it is one of the most famous stories about Crassus. I mean, my um, it's always good for an author when people really praise the cover of a book. I love that. Uh, and um, yes, it is a wonderful. It really is a wonderful. Well, my book has a, be- a beautiful cover with, with a molten gold theme which uh, many, many people have, have commented on uh, it looks as though what happened the various stories about this but his head was cut off in, in the desert and, and taken back um, the first story we know about about the head was that it was used as a prop in a greek play this is particularly peculiar a peculiar irony because the romans of course thought that the parthians were barbarians uh, and uh, the idea that in their capital they would be putting on Greek tragedies, which had never been put on in Rome. The Romans didn't put on Greek tragedies. They they put on sort of their, their versions of Greek comedies. Oh, uh, they, so they because the Bacchae is a particularly um, difficult. It's a very um, difficult, very sophisticated play, but but it ends uh, and yes, yeah, certainly it's never been never put on in Rome. Um, and, you know, it's an absolute high point of, of, of classical uh, Greek writing in the, fifth, in, the fifth, in the end of the fifth century. So this play was, but it, this play ends with the, the, the king um, Pentheus, who's an arrogant king like Crassus, uh, um, who defies the god and says that, you know, they mustn't worship the god Dionysus. And Dionysus sends all the women mad, including his own mother. And they take to the hills and they think they're hunting a mountain lion and cutting the head off a lion. But in fact, they're high on religious fervor and God knows what else. And they find Pentheus and cut his head off. So there's a scene in, in the end of the back end where they're basically passing around the head of uh, what they think is a lion. But then the, the mother looks at it and says, ah, this is my son. Not good. So that's a good, tra- you know, good tragic scene. And, and, and of course, you need a head. And the, and the story goes that this the Crassus's head turned out very conveniently. Uh, and um, was used in this performance. This is, story is slightly too good to be true, but um, but it gives it shows you and it gives you an indication of, of how that was seen. And then the second uh, account was that either before or after it was used as a, as a prop in the play, um, it had um, gold, um, molten gold poured poured into it so that it would be a kind of trophy in in Parthia as to what happens to greedy greedy Romans. So this is, I think is much more more plausible because the the Parthians put on effectively a kind of anti-triumph which must have been a very remarkable thing to see they found one of the prisoners who looked a bit like Crassus or they thought looked a bit like Crassus dressed him up in women's clothing which was sort of humiliating for a male Roman or Parthian um, put him on the back of a cart 
attached lots of the things to the cart that, that were sort of parodies of what the Romans would put on the chariots when they were taking um, them through Rome. Uh, and um, you know, it was, sort of, it was a public humiliation of, of the great idea of the Roman of the Roman triumph. Well, if they were doing that, you can imagine they had a sort of a victory over Crassus Museum, and it's not so unbelievable that it, amongst the sort of stuff that they'd taken from the from the Roman soldiers, including a certain amount of erotica, which which that they thought was they all thought it was funny that the Roman soldiers carried it so erotica with them, but you can imagine that the. Uh, uh, the, the head with stuff with gold might have been a prime exhibit in this show. Wonderful stuff, Peter. Well, look, I think we've, we've come to the end. It's been uh, very enjoyable talking to you about this uh, brilliant um, race through Crassus's life. Uh, Crassus, the first tycoon. Thanks so much for your time. Well, thank you as ever. Bye-bye. Coming up, after Tuesday's bonus Black History Month episode, I have Max Hastings and then Mark Urban joining me. Max will be talking about the Cuban Missile Crisis and Mark on the paratroopers in World War II. I hope you can join me. Thank you and good night.